0: Hello. Uh, this week, one of my friends, uh, child, had a birthday party. And isn't it funny, and don't you love it with kids, when they're four, they're, they're soon to be five? Or when they're nine, they're, they're nearly ten? I remember as a, as a kid going to the show and uh, not quite being tall enough for the ride because of the height restrictions, and always just thinking, next year, next year, I, I just might be tall enough to be able to go on that ride. And when I was in primary school, all I wanted was to be in high school, and then when I was in high school, all I wanted was to go to uni to get a job and to get married. You see, There's something within us that wants to grow up and be more mature than what we are. We want to be more than what we are. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we should also want to grow up and develop a more mature faith. Did you know that your faith in God matters to God? Whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or for 55 years, he is interested in your spiritual growth. Jesus called us to be followers, not admirers. You see, admirers, they just want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but far enough away so they don't have much of the sacrifice. Admirers are often content just with a basic understanding of of who Jesus is. And they're, they're okay with just repeating a prayer or two with the occasional psalm and just resting on having secured a ticket to heaven. But is that really the extent of the relationship that Jesus wants for us? Of course it's not. Jesus has a whole lot more for us than that. Jesus was never interested in having enthusiastic admirers. He was looking for long-term, mature followers. Today we begin a new series in the book of Colossians and it's called King Jesus. And over the next five weeks it is my prayer that we will learn and understand more of who King Jesus is. And that we will also be challenged and that you will also be challenged to go to a deeper place and a deeper devotion with Jesus. Before we dive into our passage today, just let me share a little bit of context and background to the book of Colossians. Paul writes this letter from prison and while in prison his friend and his co-worker Epaphras comes and visits him and Epaphras planted the church in Colossae and so Epaphras comes to Paul in prison and explains to him how the church is, is traveling and how it's going and he says Paul the church is going really well things are really happening and the gospel's going forward however there's a couple of little challenges there's a number of pressures from other religious and other philosophies, as well as there's pressure from Rome and the empire as well. And some of these things are tempting the Christians to turn away from Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage the church with the good news that Jesus is king and teaches them how they can deepen their devotion to him. You see, for Paul, his heart was to present everyone fully mature to Christ. And that's what we see in Colossians 1, chapter 28, that he wanted to see everyone mature in Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 3. That's where we're going to pick it up today. Colossians 1, uh, verses 3. And we read, we read this. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving And prayer. He gives thanks to God for the gospel planted in Colossae, which is growing and bearing fruit, as indeed it is across the rest of the world. But Paul also gives thanks, doesn't he? Because he heard some other encouraging things from Epaphras about the Colossian church. And what did he hear? What did did Epaphras tell him? Did he tell um, Paul about their amazing preaching? Did Epaphras tell Paul about their amazing facilities or how right they were in arguments? Or their incredible holiness? Well, no, it was none of those things. Epaphras, though, bragged about how well the Colossian church loved one another. Have a look at verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. And then in verse 8, he says it again, who also told us to, of your love in the Spirit. This is important for you and I to grasp today. You see, for Paul and for Epaphras, the true sign of God at work in someone's life is their love for one another. This love spoken of here is more than just simply emotional feelings for each other. Rather, it was chosen behaviors that was informed by their faith. It was sincere kindness, countercultural gentleness, true compassion, wild generosity, and acceptance and inclusion of one another as people created and valued by God and as members of the same family, even though there were major differences in race, background, culture, and opinion. You see, for the Colossian Church it was this type of love in action that replaced worldly behaviours such as division, greed, lust, anger and lies. Doesn't our world, doesn't our world need today people and communities that are marked by this type of love? Over this last week, many of us have most likely watched events in America where people are standing together in the name of equality and justice for the black community in light of dreadful racial violence. And as I was preparing this sermon and reflecting on this passage and this idea of love, I I felt led to encourage us all to hold firm to a, a few things at this time. Firstly, as followers of Jesus, we believe in the intrinsic value and undeniable equality of all people before God as individuals who each bear the image of God. And as, and so as a fellow human and as your pastor, I denounce and grieve the racist, hate-filled treatment of people of colour that we have recently seen and throughout history. It is important that we stand together and that we acknowledge the pain that racism and race fueled violence brings people of colour around our world. Our loving creator God grieves at the way we contribute and continue to divide and hurt other humans because they look, live or think differently to us. We follow and love a God who instructed us to love our neighbour as ourselves, not just the neighbours who look like us or who we like, but all people. Learning to love like this in everyday action is hard, but it's important work that we cannot walk away from. And so I hope and pray that on the other side of this chaos that there is meaningful change for the lives of black people in America, both now and into the future. And here at home... Well, this week has been National Reconciliation Week across Australia. Why do we even need National Reconciliation Week? Well, it's because during this week, it's a chance for us to recognise too that similar justice and racially motivated violence also happens here at home on our soil. Indigenous Australians still suffer from inequality, injustice and racism in many and varied forms. There is much work to be done in our own backyard and we must be prepared to stand together on this and to be part of the solution. At times like this, it's easy to look at others and their responses. But can I remind us that it's important that we also take the time to search our own hearts and ask God to reveal any offensive ways that might be within us. Let us be a people who pray that God will lead us to pursue justice and practice love in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, our communities, our cities and our nations. Let us be people who pray that we will see the face of God in the face of every person we meet, regardless of the colour of their skin. Let us be people who love in action as followers of Jesus. You and I, we are called to prayer, but we're also called to act and to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so may we be courageous in choosing discomfort for the sake of those who have been denied the right to choose in so many other ways. You know, as a church, we are a diverse church, aren't we? We're a community of people from diverse cultures, and we are committed to our journey of discovering what it looks like to be a truly intercultural family here at RBC. And so I want to invite you today to join with us as we learn and grow together in this now and into the future. You know, we have so much to learn and much growing yet to do as individuals, as a community and as a nation. Well, as we have read today, the Colossians, they were known for their love. But what is it that produced this love in action? What is it that produced this faith in them? Well, Paul goes on and he tells us in verse 5 that it's hope. It's hope. What does he say in verse 5? He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And where does this hope come from? Well, Paul goes on and he says that this hope comes from the true message of the gospel. You see, this hope is awakened by the true message of the gospel. You know, at the time that Paul wrote Colossians, the Roman Empire had established a period of, of peace across the known world at the time. They had built a sophisticated road system which led to increased trade and financial security, and they had established a, a leading legal system. And so there was a great temptation for the Colossian church to put their hope in the power of Rome and Caesar. After all, the assumption was that it would, be, it would make life much more better and prosperous for everyone. There were also pressures coming from other religious groups and philosophers that were also threatening this young church. And so Paul comes in and he reminds them with this letter of the true message of the gospel that they heard and that it's the true message of the gospel that brings hope and results then in faith And love. So, what is the gospel message that produces this hope? Well, it is the announcement that Jesus is the loving ruler of the world. It is the news that Jesus is king, not Caesar. Jesus is the one who brings life, human flourishing, hope, and peace, not the Roman Empire or Caesar. And he does this unlike the powers of his day, not through military-driven violent oppression or the display of power, but through humble, others-focused love and self-giving sacrifice that we see most supremely demonstrated on the cross. Church, The gospel message isn't simply an invitation at the end of a service or the end of a sermon for someone to trust in Jesus for the first time. It doesn't simply end there. Neither is the gospel something that we just outgrow. No, the gospel is for Christians too. Every day, you and I, we need re-gospeling. Our message to the world is Jesus is king, but we also need to preach this to ourselves every day, don't we? We need to experience the hope of the gospel too. The reality that Jesus is king is something that we need to reorientate ourselves around daily as we think and act, respond and relate, plan and make life choices. Every day we need re-gospeling so we can be filled with the hope again and live with deep faith and love. Paul continues, and in verse 9, he encourages the church to grow further in spiritual maturity and to live a life worthy of God. Have a look, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Living worthy and pleasing lives begins with God filling us with his Spirit and through him all knowledge, wisdom and understanding. If you have trusted in Jesus, did you know that you have a divine life within you? God has implanted something of himself in you, his spirit, to give you a deep sense of his love, power, strength and guidance. And this is a a beautiful thing. But sadly, many people have a distorted picture of God. They think that God is a grumpy man, someone who is just hard to please, that he's just waiting for us to slip up and and eager to point out our faults. But we see in this passage that God's intention for humanity is actually for us to flourish, for us to bear fruit. And the good news is that everything needed for us to do this has already been given to us. The Holy Spirit has been placed in us so that we can grow in maturity and live worthy and pleasing lives. Our role then is to learn how to cooperate with the Spirit of God and let him shape and guide our life. Paul then goes on in verse 10 and and makes it clear what a a worthy life looks like. And he says, so that you may live a worthy life. Uh, You may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And he goes on and he says that a life that pleases God is one that bears fruit, one that grows in the knowledge of God, one that is strengthened by God, one that endures, one that is patient and one that gives joyful thanks. Firstly, bearing fruit in every good work. Being saved and free doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. As Christians, we are called to conduct ourselves in a way that reflects the grace and the salvation that we have already received from Jesus. I wonder, are you living in a way that reflects the grace that you've received? Secondly, growing in knowledge. What we knew about Jesus last year cannot simply be enough. There is more to learn. There is more that God has for us. We need to discover more of God's love for us. We need to discover more of what God thinks about life. To be a mature follower is to know God and his gospel so fully that it permeates every inch of our lives and more and more each day. I wonder, do you have a testimony of how Jesus is becoming more real to you each day? Thirdly, strengthen with power for endurance and patience. The reality is that much of life is challenging and hard, isn't it? Much of life is also mundane, not magical. And so when faced with challenges and the mundane moments of life, it takes power to endure and to remain patient. The good news is that every believer has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in us and is available to us to strengthen us and to endure us, to allow us to be patient through all things. I wonder... Are you thinking of walking away from God because the challenges are are too much? Do you need today to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to strengthen you and to give you the endurance and the patience that you need just to to take another step? And fourthly, one of God's gifts in helping us to endure is joyful thanks. Thanks. Thankfulness is difficult at times. You know, the wear and the tear of life can chip away at our trust in God and our appreciation for the beauty of life in King Jesus. But if there's one thing Paul wants to see growing in your life, if there's one thing that Paul wants to see growing in our community's life, it is that of thankfulness and gratitude for the amazing things that God has done in King Jesus, the amazing things that He is doing now, and the amazing things that He will one day still do. I wonder, how are you going giving joyful thanks to God? And so as we finish today, Paul kind of really brings home his points that he's been making in these first 12 verses in verse 12 and 14 when he teaches us that the reason we're even able to live worthy and please God in the first place is because of the work of King Jesus. You see, living a life worthy of God is only possible through Jesus. Take a look. It says, He who has qualified you... To share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Amen. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, we really do have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for, so much to celebrate. And Paul begins by saying that salvation is God's initiative. He is the one who has qualified us in Jesus. You see, salvation is a divine gift. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can add to your life in order to gain salvation. You cannot qualify for it. You cannot earn it. It is not what you do that brings you to life spiritually. It's what God has done for you in the person of King Jesus. You see, our hope isn't in religion. Our hope is in redemption. Religion says, here's the 10 things you need to do. Here's the things you need to to cross off and tick in order to qualify for salvation and to please God. But redemption, on the other hand, says here's what God has done for you in Jesus to qualify you for salvation because he is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in you. In verse 13, Paul says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us in to the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what this means? Do you know what it means to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? It means that the gospel doesn't offer a new religious experience, but rather it offers us a whole new way to be human. It offers us a whole new identity. You see, once we were under the authority of darkness and death, we were under its rule, under its power, but now, because of redemption and forgiveness, we have been set free. We've been transferred into a whole new life, into a whole new kingdom of light under the authority and the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And we have been called to live as children of light. It's an amazing thing to be able to have a whole new identity because Of the gospel of Jesus. Well, this week, may we be re-gospeled. May we experience the hope of King Jesus. May you let the message of the gospel fill you with hope again. And may you increasingly cooperate with the Holy Spirit as you seek to live out a worthy life, one that seeks to please God and one that makes a difference in the world around us. Let's come and pray together. King Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you have rescued us and that you have given us a brand new way of being human, that you have given us a whole new identity. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you because of the gospel. And Lord, it is my prayer today that we would be people, individuals and collectively as a church, that would be more and more devoted to you, that we would grow up, that we would become more mature in you. And that, Lord, we would be those who would be part of seeing love in our lives, love for one another extended into our communities and the world around us. We just thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory today. I wonder as we're just here today in this moment, is there something that Jesus is really pressing on your heart and on your life right now? Just let him, let him do a work in your spirit. Let him speak to you. Let him remind you that you, are, that you are loved. Let him remind you of the power of his spirit that is at work in you. I pray today for people who may feel that, that they need to work harder and do more in order to be loved. Lord, I pray right now that you would remind them that it's all been done. It's all been done and that your spirit is alive within them, and that they can have, because of that, the power to live worthy and lives that please you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness and for your redemption. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.